just a couple reminders and confessions. Um, each week, my hope during the week is that you have access on your computer or on your phone, some way, some form, through social media, Facebook, the website, if you have Spotify or YouTube on your phone. I'm, I put the music for the week on YouTube and Spotify. If you use our website, ozarksbiblechurch.org, on the section about, uh, about what to expect, I believe it is, at the very bottom is a link to the music for the week. Um, if you'd like me to help you with either the app Spotify or YouTube, I can show you each week when I update it. It automatically updates on your phone or computer. I'm happy to help you out with that. And the purpose of that is, one, you can worship at home uh, with the songs that we sing here at church. Two, it will help prepare you f- just spiritually for our gathering that coming Lord's Day. And three, uh, I know some of these songs are uh, unfamiliar, and so it also gives a sense of familiarity throughout the week. I fell off the wagon on that for a few weeks. I'm two weeks in a row doing pretty good, uh, and I plan on keeping that up. And the other thing is I've really been bad at having a preparation, a Sunday prep to give to you, which is also through the website um, under uh, sermon prep on the menu. Um, if you want that sent directly to your inbox when I actually do it in your email, you can subscribe. And so when I actually hit send or post, you'll get an alert in your email and it'll have a little Sunday prep about the passage we're going through. It has the link to the songs that we're singing and then also a link to a daily devotion in that. So it's on the website or you can, through the website, subscribe to it and it will show up in your email when I actually do it. If you need help with that, I'd be happy to help you. I have been horrible at it. Um, And Lord willing, I'll be more disciplined in it going forward this next week. Um, With that, let let us look at Matthew. Uh, I want to read our section in the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 31 and 32. And if you see in your heading, the topic is divorce. But in reality, you can't talk about divorce without talking about marriage. So in Matthew 19, these same verses, these same words of Christ are pretty much echoed by Jesus, but in a bigger context, in the context of marriage. And last week we did read this section, but we didn't really expound on it. We didn't really talk a lot about marriage as we looked at lust and adultery last week. This week we'll focus this morning and this evening on marriage and divorce. Uh, More so marriage this morning and divorce this evening. So here's the challenge. Don't come just for the marriage part this morning and skip the divorce part this evening. The point of this passage is the divorce. And this is is something that 
is easy to run away from. It's like out of sight, out of mind. If I don't look at it, it's not a problem. It is a problem. And it is something that Christ addresses specifically in the Sermon on the Mount. And so I challenge you all to come back tonight. If you can't, you will be able to listen to the second part online. But I challenge you to come back tonight and to hear the second half of the sermon. Okay. Now I just want to read Matthew 5, 31 and 32 just so we can see what it says um, and kind of get a little running start here to what we've got to say. Matthew 5, 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, let's flip to Matthew 19. Starting in verse 1, before we read it, just a few comments as a way of introduction for us. Um, I don't care where you are. I don't care who you are. Talking about divorce in a moral standpoint, from a biblical standpoint, is going to be difficult. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be... It's going to press against you. Uh, press against our flesh, our sin nature. It will. And, you know, you would think, well, when we talk about lust and anger, that should also press against our flesh and our sin nature. But for some reason, talking about marriage and divorce gets, it's like, it's a little bit more in your face. It's because it's universal. Marriage is a universal thing. Outside of the church, inside the church. Marriage and divorce, it's emotional. If you're married, you know marriage is emotional. And if you consider the, the longevity of marriage, to be emotional that long would make one touchy about marriage and divorce, which is understandable. Um, it's personal. And we live in a culture, and it's always been this way, but it seems to be growing more, where, well, my marriage is in my house, stay out of my house kind of concept. Which, I, I get it, but we come together as sinners knowing that we've been saved by the grace of God, even in our sin. So we don't have to hide this problem or the difficulties in marriage or our past, whether married, divorced, whatever the case may be, but it is our lives. And so it seems like, stay out of my life. You don't have anything to say about it. But the problem is, is Jesus does. Jesus does have something to say about it. it. A lot of people are going to say, what does this old book and all of these old dead guys who wrote this book 
have to do with my marriage today. It's my business, not anyone else's. But if that's your argument, and we just looked at lust in your heart and anger in your mind last week, those are yours as well. And Jesus says, no, those are mine. Your thoughts and your intentions, those aren't yours. You will be judged for them. Same for your marriage. Same for your relationships. Jesus, in our section, in the Sermon on the Mount, He is, uh, as the, 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 the penalty in football goes, encroaching on our lives. He is getting off sides. But in reality, He's got every right to be all up in our business. Right? And so we've got, that's the point of this whole section of the Sermon on the Mount. Is that Jesus is, he's, he's reminding us and telling us that in the kingdom, in the viewpoint of the kingdom of heaven, life is not a merry-go-round. You got this nice music playing. You know exactly where you're going. You're going to this way. Oh, you got a little up and down. It's all smooth. You just, that's Jesus and his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is letting us know that that is not the case, but life in itself is a romping roller coaster. And I don't mean in what we deal with, I mean in how we bring our sin into this world through our thoughts, our intentions, our, our lust, our anger our relationships within our homes, our marriage. It's a romping roller coaster. So Jesus is teaching in a way that he's saying, it's not, I don't, I'm not trying to get everything easy around this up and down, smooth merry-go-round, but I'm going deep and I'm going to get on that roller coaster with you and I'm going to show you what is the kingdom of heaven? I'm going to show you that it isn't about the surface. It's not about the piece of cake. But I'm piercing the heart. I'm getting into your business. Because one, I am king of kings. And this is my kingdom. These are the rules of the kingdom of heaven. You can't be like the Pharisees and relax the least of these, or thin out the least of these. So if we're going to talk about anger, we're going to talk about lust, we also have to talk about marriage and divorce. And anyone outside of Christ, anyone outside of Christ, if I say, if I tell them what Jesus says about divorce, this is what they'll do. Don't care. Don't care. If you are in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is your king. And what he says goes. And there's no way around it. And that's also why this makes this a difficult passage. Because the way Jesus teaches, the way the Bible teaches on divorce, goes the exact opposite of the way our culture takes it. The exact opposite. His kingdom, His rules. Uh, we have to keep in mind John 14, 21, which says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. 
Now that's kind of Yoda talk, as in it's backwards. He who loves me keeps my commandments, right? If you are in the kingdom of God, there is an affection and a love for Christ. If you're in the kingdom of God and there's an affection of love for Christ, there is evidence of obedience to what Christ has said. The Great Commission, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And he commands some few things in this passage today. So we have to keep this in mind. We have to realize also that within our marriages, our relationships, and divorce, we can't hide anything. We can't say, or we can't say, I like all that Jesus says, but my life and the way my marriage is going, I'm not really so sure about what I think about what Jesus says, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick that stuff that I like. I'm going to leave out what... I don't like, which is this divorce part. We can't do that. We can't do that. Becoming... What we have to do as the church... Now, let me just stop and say this. I don't know of anybody in this room that is on the verge of divorce. I don't. That's a honesty. I have no idea. I hope to know one of these days, as your pastor, that you could come to me and wanting counsel or wanting guidance. Now, I know I'm just turned 36, and all the way I'm going to counsel you is by the Word of God. But I, I, this is not for someone specific. I just don't know. I'm just going to give you what God says, number one, about marriage, and number two, about divorce. So here's what I really want you to... Because you all might be saying, there, well, my marriage is good. I, I mean, I'm not headed for divorce, so I don't know if this is really for me or about me. But you as a Christian in the church, you better understand marriage and divorce. Because I'm seeing some families with kids who are growing up. When your kids grow out and they start talking about these types of things... Or when, when we together and someone is approaching divorce, having a bad marriage, we as the church, if we are mistaken or not understanding about these things, then we lead people just to follow the world. And that's just do what you want to do. We have a commission to teach all disciples to observe the commandments of Jesus and understanding and applying the principles of marriage and divorce to one another and our children and our friends around us is vital. Especially, again, as the world makes divorce as easy as pie or as common as pie. So we have to keep those things in mind. Uh, now, so what we're going to do this morning is by Jesus' words, we're going to look at God's intent for marriage. And you may say, well, that's very obvious. Well, we're going to make sure we understand it. God's intent for marriage. Then we're going to see our mess of it. 
which is where we segue into divorce. And then we're going to look at Jesus' direct teachings on divorce and the consequences thereof, and then some practicalities after that. So the stance on divorce, the practicalities, those more likely will come this evening, uh, Lord willing. So, point number one, God's intent for marriage. Let's look at Matthew 19 and see God's intent for marriage. So, keeping in mind the conversation that we've had about the Pharisees and their outlook on the law, the Pharisees are going to enter into Jesus' space and come at Him about the law. Verse 1, Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, He went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed Him, and He healed them there. Verse 3, And the Pharisees came up to Him and tested Him. And they tested Him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? So, remember in Matthew 5, when Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. It's probably because people are already questioning and talking about what his thoughts are on the law and the prophets, about what has been said, about what are the commands and how we should follow them. So they come up to him to test him by asking him, what are your thoughts on the law about divorce? Now, we'll get to the, we'll get to the fact that they asked it unbiblically, but Jesus says, hmm, and his answer in verse 4, he answered them, have you not read? So first, that was a jab at them. You want to talk about what the law says, I'm going to ask you, have you read it? And not because maybe they haven't, but because they didn't understand it. Remember this morning in Sunday school, open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of your law. I guarantee you these Pharisees had read it, but they weren't getting it. They weren't seeing it. And maybe some of them hadn't read it. But he, Jesus' answer, His response to them is, let's take a look at what the Holy Scriptures say. Because their question in itself did not reflect what the Bible actually said. Notice their question. It is, lawful to, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And we've got to back up a second. There are, in this time, there are different thoughts on divorce among rabbis, Jewish teachers. The two prominent thoughts are, there is an allowance for divorce for very severe reasons. Based on Deuteronomy 24, which we'll look at in a minute. And then the other side, which is probably where these Pharisees are coming from, they have used and abused what Moses did in Deuteronomy 24 to write them a certificate of divorce for any cause. Nowhere in Scripture does 
God give allowance or Moses give allowance for a divorce for any cause. But Jesus, just in his response to their unbiblical question, responds straightforward from the Bible. He says, Have you not read? So that meaning, he's going to tell them what they should have read. Now let's turn to Genesis chapter 2. And we'll get a, 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 a big a bigger understanding of what Jesus is quoting here. And remember, we're looking here for, the, for God's intent in marriage. God's intent, God's will for marriage, His design. Ex, uh, sorry, Genesis 2. Genesis 2, verse 18. Genesis 2, 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man, Adam, should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave, uh, the, the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she is taken out of man. Now let's stop there. And let's see the will, the intent, the design for marriage by God in the beginning. Which you'll notice that phrase when we come back. So, we notice that man and woman are different. But similar. They're similar in the fact that the woman was made from the man. And if you... I, I wish I could read Hebrew, because if you could read Hebrew, you would see that the word man and woman, like in the English, they have a very similar sound. And the way that, the, the way that God had written this, it, it rolls off the tongue to make you see that woman has come from man, that they are similar, but... They are different. How do we know that they're different? Because God says, I need a helper for the man. I need someone to have dominion with him. I need someone to be with him and beside him. And what, is, what does he see? What does Adam say? What does the man see when he sees Eve for the first time? 
at last, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Yes, we know, we know for certain that Eve came from Adam, from a rib, but I think this poetic language is, is showing us the oneness that they have even though they are separate. Even though they're no that rib is gone and now there is a woman, he still says, as they are apart, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. We are one. We are together. This is wonderful. Two made to be one, similar but different, given a purpose. Now the purpose is throughout the first couple chapters of Genesis. The purpose given to the man, which then in turn is also given to the woman because the woman is seen as a what? A helper. Now, now this morning in Sunday school, for those of you that weren't here, we talked about servant. David, or the psalm writer, was a servant of God. That's not a helper. Let's make sure we understand this. Helper does not equal servant. So husbands, if you're treating your wife as a servant and not a helper, you are in sin. Okay? You are a helper. That is like the idea of an assistant. Someone who is alongside of you to help you accomplish what you have been commanded to do. That is the purpose. That is the intent. Right? And so what is the command, the purpose, and the intent of for the two that have become one, what are they to do? Well, two things. Be fruitful and multiply. One, and take dominion and subdue that which is in creation. Be stewards of God's creation. That is the purpose and intent of marriage. Now, we can find many other purposes that fall under that. But basically, the overall heading of this is the purpose of the two becoming one is to live and be in a relationship that is seeking the will of God and be obedient to the commands of God. That is the purpose of your marriage. The glory of God. The purpose of your marriage is not your happiness. The purpose of your marriage is not that you are satisfied. The purpose of your marriage is the glory of God and His kingdom. The purpose of your marriage is eternal. Not about today. But we live in today for eternity. Our marriage is day in and day out for the sake of an eternal kingdom and the glory of God. This is God's design. Now, we can state the obvious. He created them male and female. Uh, I... I probably don't have a dissenter in this room on that statement that marriage is for a man and a woman. But again, let me be clear. We as a church must stand on that. We as a church, we as parents must stand on that. That marriage was designed by God in the beginning as one man and one woman. But 
The word will the world will tell you otherwise. The world will tell you that that is not the case. But once again, what should we expect of the world? But to say something against what God has designed. I quote, I I mentioned Romans one last week. If you look at Romans one, those who suppress the truth, those who worship the crea- the creature over the creator, where do they wind up? Confused about sexuality, debased minds, expect it from the world. But you, as the church, guard the truth, not to pick fights, but to stand on the truth, to stand for one another. Because guess what? The Satan is deceitful. He's scheming, and he comes. And out of nowhere, he'll pick off one of your kids. Or he'll pick off that person who sits in the pew behind you. And if we're unwilling to stand for the truth, and again, I'm not saying be loud and obnoxious on Facebook. I'm talking about really living it. I'm talking about raising your children in the admonition of the Lord so that when they hear someone say, oh, those two uh, guys got married, their minds go, in the beginning. In the beginning. He made them male and female. Train our children in the admonition of the Lord. Guard our hearts with the Word of God. That's what Jesus said. They asked Him this crazy question, and He says, Have you not read? Our home should be saturated with the Word of God. Not saturated with the news, not saturated with Netflix, not saturated with our phones. Our, our homes should be saturated with the Word of God. And let me just read it. And I've said it multiple times. Paul reminds Timothy of his faithfulness of his mother and his grandmother. His grandmother Lois and his or his uh, mother Lois and his grandmother Eunice, their faith, and then he reminds them. He, uh, Paul reminds Timothy of what happened because of the faithfulness of his family, of his mother and his grandmother. But as for you, continuing in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are make, make which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith. In Christ Jesus. That's, that promise isn't just that you might be justified and go to heaven. Your salvation is making you like Christ Jesus. And that pushes forward on the, on the basis of the truths of God. Let our homes be filled with the truths of God, not just in, in, in slogans, but in the Word of God. And that will guard that will keep, that will lead, that will guide. So that's our challenge. That's our challenge for the church and, under, and, and, and God's intent for marriage is holding fast because the world is going to push and push and push. I was trying to look up marriage statistics this morning and do you know that I had to filter through there are this many men 
married and this many women married, and I'm thinking, wait, shouldn't it be the same? But that's the reality. It's the craziness. To, to, there are more men married than women. That makes no sense. But that's normal. That's government documentation. And it's just presented to us as the normal. And as that becomes more normal, the more you hold fast to have you not read, you're going to become weird. Praise God. Let's be weird. Let's not be normal when it comes to what the world wants to say and what the world wants to do. So we must hold fast to what has been written. And then we must be prepared. We must be prepared for the hate. Jesus said the world hated me. And we must be prepared to be pushed out. And when you are hated and pushed out by the world, look at me. Don't whine about it. Don't think you're missing out on something. But remember the joy that is set before you. And know that they did the same to Him. Know that they did the same to Him. Male and female. Now, let's go back to Matthew 19. And we pick up actually what the the end of Genesis 2 says in verse 5. So we're going back to Jesus' words in quoting Genesis 2. So again, the, the, the common sense says that only a male and a female can create a family. Right? We get that. That's only the way a family can actually form is male and female. So when that happens, you get more people in that family. Now here's where the idea of marriage really starts to roll. Verse 5. And Jesus said, quoting Genesis 2, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. So a father and mother have created a son, and now... The son is leaving. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. He is actually, it doesn't sound right if you think about it. The family is tight-knit. So what is this man doing? What is this boy doing? He is actually ripping apart the family to some degree, right? He's leaving. He's breaking it up. But what is his intent? To have his own family. But how can he do that? With another woman. He leaves the male and the female, his father and mother. A male leaves and finds another female. And they they replicate. They replicate what happened at creation. Can you imagine? Your call to marriage, now I'm not saying your call to marriage, your act of marriage is a replication of the garden. 
of creation, of Adam and Eve. Woman, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. You are participating in God's will in marriage. That's pretty intense. That is intense. He leaves his father and mother, now here, to hold fast to his wife or his wives. No, his wife, his wife, his one wife. Again, we spoke last week. David had many. He was wrong. His son had even more. He was wrong. Just because someone has done it in the Bible doesn't make it right. God's rule and command and precepts is what we follow, not the way that someone else did it. Leave the father and mother and hold fast to their wife. Okay, so that word leave is really harsh. It's like abandon and forsake, but the word hold fast is even more uh, involved. It's to stick. To, to hold fast is to join, to cleave, to keep. So what do we see? What do we see? That marriage is exclusive. It's not wives. He's not holding fast to his wives. But we also see that it is long term. It is lifelong. Lifelong. And we also see, as we look, and the two shall become one flesh. It is intimate. It is exclusive. It is long term. And it is intimate. No longer two, but one. What God, verse 6, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. What God has joined together, basically saying, this is the will of God. And Jesus says, let no man go any other way. Let no man go any other way. Let no man go against God's design and will. Now here is, and I can, we can... We can get on the idea about uh, homosexual marriage. We can get on the idea about uh, transgenderism. But where this starts to push is when we start reeling it back in and we start looking at our marriages. And we start talking about the hard stuff. It's easy for us at Ozarks Bible Church to talk about that which the world is doing. But that, the things that are coming in and are in our homes, where our marriages are suffering, while we're being seeking self-satisfaction within our marriage, while we're seeking pride in our marriage, these are the things that press and push us towards let no man separate. Those sins are what press us to want to separate what God has joined. And none of us are outside of that. None of us are outside of the potential of us being selfish, 
prideful, self-seeking that would lead a separation within our marriages. And this is the mess that we make. This is the mess that we make. Just just a couple things real quick. If you're facing trials in your marriage, don't If I if I said you had if you came to me and you said I have confessed I had anger issues, you said, "Luke, I've got anger issues." And I read to you what we read in the sermon on the mount. If anyone is angry with his brother, he will be liable to judgment. And you go, I just don't want to hear that though. I don't know where to go. If you're unwilling to heed the words of Christ within the struggle that you're facing, your marriage is hopeless. If you come to me and say, Luke, there are some difficult things going in my marriage. Uh, we are talking about divorce. And I say, for what God has joined together, let no man separate. And you're like, but... Wrong. We heed the words of Christ. What God has joined together, let no man separate. That is His words. So... If you are having trials, struggles, suffer, if, if your marriage is suffering, if you know someone whose marriage is suffering, do not run from what Christ has said. It's not going to make you feel better at first. It's going to press you. It's going to tell you that you're wrong and you're going to be uncomfortable and you're not going to want to do it and it's hard and your flesh is going to say, that's too hard, let's take the easy way. Divorce. Stay in the Word of God and continue to tell yourself the words of Jesus if you are having problems at home. God's desire is always till death do us part. And you're like, well, Luke, you know that there's an exception later on in this passage. I do. But it is not the rule, it is an exception. The rule is in verse 6. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate, till death do us part. That is what we should strive for. That is what we should desire. That is what we should work for. That is what we should bleed for. That is what our, our, our families should be pushing for. Our marriages should be, should be clawing to death do us part. Fight it as you would fight other sin. Don't think that fighting for your marriage is going to be any more different or difficult than fighting against sin that's in your heart of anger or lust or pride. It is challenging. It is work. It is battle. And it takes the supernatural work of God to help. If you're facing trials in your marriage, if you know someone that's facing trials in their marriage, do not do it alone. 
Seek counsel. Seek accountability. Seek help. If you shut your home doors, you will lose. This is the grace of God that we come together. This is the grace of God that we have been united together in Christ. Sinners. So we do not have to be ashamed and say, we're having hard times right now. Can you help us? You betcha. We'll do whatever it takes. Pray. Read. Eat. Babysit. I don't care. Whatever you need, let us help you. Because we stand on what Jesus says, whatever God has joined together, let not man separate. And so we do it together. And if you hide it, there's no help. There's no help. And if someone you do know that's going through this, help them. And I, if you are in this state, if you are having troubles, I want to read again, I want to read again the gospel to you. Because I want you to understand the healing of marriage is not philosophy, counseling, trying to three-step it out. Those things help, but the thing that heals is Christ. Even what we think is our own and in our home's marriage, the answer for a healing marriage to stay away from divorce is Christ. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we are healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have, not, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseers of your soul. Seek Christ. Remember the gospel and face, face it head on. Now, and I, we'll finish here. Single people, which looks like it's a bunch of teenagers. Listen to me. God's intent for marriage, again, is exclusivity meaning one man and one woman. It's intimate and it's long-term, meaning in all of the decisions of your life, who you marry is going to, that decision is going to last the longest. So, it's not like saying, what do I want to order at Burger King today? Now, I know I made that a joke, but it is no joke. Your decision for who you marry is a lifetime decision. Because what we see and what we'll look at this evening, the only other option from a lifelong marriage is divorce. And we're going to see that that's not a good road to take. So, teenagers, parents, teach your children that dating is about marriage. You hear me? Dating isn't about fun. Dating isn't about who you're, who you're lusting over 
or who you've infatuated with, when you date, you should be considering God's intent and design for your life and marriage. So if you're not dating with the intent of marriage, and I don't mean that we go on three dates, we're going to get married. I mean, I'm going to date this person because guess what? I could marry this person. If you, if, you have no, if you have no press in that direction and you're just dating to date, I ask you to just stop. Because the only thing you're going to get out of it is sin and heartache. Sin and heartache. God, if you're dating just to date, you are being pulled and driven by your flesh. That's it. And that only leads to the wrong road. But, so what do you do if you're a teenager? Because I thought that's what teenagers do. They date. Get to know the bridegroom. Seek the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not look for satisfaction in the world like everyone else. Take your youthful days and seek to grow in a relationship with Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of these other things He'll handle. We want you teenagers to know that and we need to remind our teenagers parents, grandparents, that dating isn't just for fun, but it leads to God's design, which is His will, His law, long-term. And the consequences of not being prepared for that is divorce. And that's not where we want to lead. There's not the outcome that we are after. So... Got a lot more to talk about tonight. But here's what I want to say. Because you might, there might be some of us... Everybody turn to Matthew 1. Everybody turn to Matthew 1 and I'm done here. We can talk about marriage and divorce in a way that feels like to be married and divorce is a sin that you cannot recover from. That it is something that excludes you from the body of Christ. Now don't take my words and twist them up. I'm not giving an excuse. But I'm showing you, I want you to see that even in our sin, God is good. Even in our unfaithfulness, God is faithful. Even when we act in selfishness, God extends grace and mercy through Christ Jesus. Matthew 1 is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It is the line that led to the birth of our Lord and Savior. Now look with me at verse 3. 
and Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah. Those two people, Perez and Zerah, were born by Judah from Tamar. Tamar was his daughter-in-law, whom he thought was a prostitute. Not faithful, not in marriage, adulterous. Um, Look at verse 5. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, a prostitute. Verse 6, and Jesse, the father of David the king, and David, the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. Outside of marriage. Outside of the marriage bed and in from adultery. Our Lord Jesus Christ came from a line of adulterous, unfaithful, unclean people. But do you know what this list shows us? The kindness and goodness and graciousness of a God who forgives. And that came through the one whom this line came from, Jesus Christ. So, you have a past... Failed marriages, multiple marriages, you're on the rocks. Remember the grace of God. Remember His kindness and seek Him and know that you are a child of God and know that in a life of repentance, That there is joy forevermore in the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray.